0: This is District Sentinel Radio, the newscast of record for the left. I'm Sam Sachs. I am Sam Knight. We're broadcasting out of Terry's used knife and sword Emporium Studio here in Washington, D.C. in Piss Town. Check out the website, districtsentinel.com. And we're on snake watch here at the Sentinel. Wow. snake, Elizabeth Warren, last night.
1: Yeah, the uh, I, I tell you, I didn't really notice it at the time, possibly because as soon as the debate was over, I was like, Well, thank god, another one's over, I can turn this off right now and not have to watch. But I totally missed the handshake snub
0: until this morning when I saw it. Yeah, I'm, I'm surprised that we haven't had lip readers emerge to tell us exactly what was said. It seems like it'd be pretty easy if you had that skill. I almost could tell, like, you could tell at some point Bernie's like, you know, you, me, and then like was like later or done or over or something like that. I don't know what was said, but um, Bernie clearly not happy with Warren after the debate extended his hand to do the formal handshake she seemed to want to talk about something further that he was just not having it yeah rightfully I, well, so i i don't i certainly don't blame him none of this has been necessary that's ha- what's happened here like giving the warren campaign the benefit of the doubt and that this was not an intentional leak two days ago and that this is just Warren who's been talking shit and got caught talking shit either way she has embraced this and she exploited it last night and turned it into some bullshit uh canned line and in in, a, in hopes of baiting Bernie like the reason she said 30 years you know hasn't beaten a, a Republican in 30 years is because Bernie did it 30 years less than 30 years ago and she knew he would say that so then she could do the oh look at Bernie Trying to mansplain me on 30 years. Everything about that was just gross. And I said my thoughts on Twitter today. Like, I doubt that the Sanders campaign is going to strike back in any real way. But supporters of Sanders who have been careful not to overly criticize Warren. Knowing that down the road, a lot of Warren's support is going to need to come to Bernie Sanders. They should feel betrayed by how the Warren campaign has acted. And Warren supporters who have ever scolded Bernie supporters or have asked for unity or peace here should feel fucking ashamed of the Warren campaign today.
1: I I hope this speaks for itself and causes Warren uh, to lose support. And hopefully a lot of her supporters will come over to Bernie because there are, I think, still some overlap between Warren and Bernie. And uh...
0: I mean, maybe that's the silver lining here is that the blowback to Bernie going negative would be souring voters who he could potentially get when Warren drops out of the race. But if Warren's new campaign tack is to already push those voters out of her orbit by attacking Bernie in such a disgusting way, then it doesn't matter. <laughs>
1: Yeah, no. I mean, I I still think that uh, I, I think that there are a significant number of Warren supporters who are, as I've said, they're basically Hillary Clinton revanchists. and and they're never Bernies anymore. They're never yeah. Bernies. Bernie supporters should just go nuclear on them on Twitter, and they already are, as we're seeing. And snake snake, <laughs> and w- w- whatever whatever uneasy peace existed uh, is gone. And a lot of trust that was built up, uh, I think, has just been squandered by this just utter knifing by, by the uh, Warren people. And, and you sort of alluded to it last night, which was that uh, Bernie made his denial. Then CNN, which has been gladly taking part in this rat fucking as uh, one of the news organization that quote unquote reported this story. Uh, from three anonymous sources right after Bernie gave his denial they turned around and asked Warren Senator Warren wh- how did you feel how did y- how did you feel when Bernie That's definitely said this thing that yeah. you say that he said
0: and yeah, the- even the audience gasped there yeah on that it was so obvious I don't know how these people like do they not have a sense of shame Like, do they do they not log on? Are they not logging on? I would be so if that video existed of me, if I was moderating a debate and there's a video of me engaging in that line of questioning in which the person I'm talking to straight up denies it and then I ignore their denial and in the framing of the question, assume they didn't deny it. I'd be embarrassed to log on and see my replies.
1: Yeah. Well, fortunately when you get paid a lot to work for a corporate cable news, uh, uh, TV station, you, you don't have to check your replies. You never have to check your replies. Uh, you're paid enough. You don't give a shit. This doesn't matter to these people. It's they're just, they're in it to rat. Fuck Bernie. I think it was so telling when, Warren hitched her her fucking stick to Klobuchar saying, Ugh. well, me and Klobuchar Ugh. are the most delectable out here, which, like, I think Warren could probably still beat Trump because we shouldn't underestimate, like, how anti-Trump the mood of the country is. But I really I don't see Klobuchar be- <laughs> beating Ugh. Trump at all. And she is just a repugnant fucking gimmick character who basically it seems to only exist as like a Chapo joke at this point and is just a fucking disgrace of, of a human and the stories about her and her staff and which it's just, it's unconscionable that she's still even on the stage and she's just repugnant. And this is who Warren is, is, elevating in her attacks on bernie that's very telling and that is such a clear fucking heel turn to the establishment that who trusts elizabeth warren right now
0: i've said that uh warren's going to be sticking around in the race for a while she's got plenty of money uh it's silly to just be like warren drop out and she's obviously not going to drop out but if her plan the rest of this race is to attack Bernie or to play this bullshit uh, Hillary Clinton 2016 strategy, then it's clear that she's not trying to pursue the same sort of voters that Bernie's pursuing anymore. And it doesn't matter. Let her try and take voters away from Joe Biden or Pete Buttigieg the rest of the race. Fine. If that's this campaign's new strategy, fine. But uh, certainly has squandered any hopes of uh of of being picked as bernie's vice president at least in my opinion uh fuck out of here with that
1: well i i certainly i don't want to see a president bernie nominate warren as vice president after the past few days but our, our collective memory is very short and i would not be surprised if down the line if Bernie Speak did- for
0: yourself. I remember everything. <laughs> Any person who's ever slighted me, I still remember. No, I,
1: w- what I'm saying is, I wouldn't be surprised if, if down the line, Bernie does get the nomination, and then we realize like all the forces lined up against him, and then maybe Warren seems like,
0: you know, the best of of the least bad options or something. But I mean, maybe down the road she redeems herself, but right now she's acting like a fucking snake. All right. It's Wednesday, January 15th, 2020. Here's the
1: news. House Democrats have named their managers for the upcoming impeachment trial. Speaker Nancy Pelosi unveiled her team today with some predictable choices. Unsurprisingly, the team includes Gerald Nadler and Adam Schiff, chairs of the Judiciary and Intelligence Committees. Also named as a manager was Zoe Lofgren, a member of the Judiciary Committee. The Hill noted that Lofgren is the only House member to have taken part in both the Nixon and Clinton impeachment proceedings. Although she wasn't a lawmaker when Watergate happened in the 1970s, Lofgren was still a congressional staffer at the time. Pelosi also named Hakeem Jeffries the corporate weasel who engaged in dirty tricks to beat Barbara Lee in recent leadership elections. The Intercept reported at the time that Jeffries was aided by Joe Crowley, who lied about Lee by claiming she supported AOC and her insurgent race, striking fear in the hearts of establishment incumbents. Also named as manager was Val Demings, a Florida rep. She serves on both the Intel and Judiciary Committees. The final two Democratic managers named were freshman reps Sylvia Garcia of Texas and Jason Crow of Colorado. Later this afternoon, Democratic leaders are expected to officially transmit the articles of impeachment over to the Senate, where the trial is expected to begin sometime next week. And I have not been looking forward to this trial, and I've just been dismayed by the Democrats' narrow view of uh, what should be included in the impeachment process. But I got to admit, I'm uh, I'm a little excited for this trial. I, and quite frankly this might seem totally counterintuitive a civics nerd over here no just just a made for tv nerd just a drama nerd and uh, a bit of a counterintuitive take but i think i think the president might be a little excited for this too based on uh, his love of all things tv drama and his high level of confidence i'm sure that senate republicans
0: will definitely protect him no matter what yeah i can see that i can see him getting amped for all this moving on, it's been eight years since this exchange, perhaps my favorite of all time in a congressional hearing setting, between Congressman Jared Polis and then DEA Administrator Michelle Leonard over the classification of marijuana as a schedule one drug, the most severe tier reserved for the hardest drugs out there. Listeners of the show have heard this clip before. I'm I'm sure of it, but uh, it's just it's excellent. Uh, is uh, crack worse for uh, a person than marijuana?
2: I, I believe all all illegal drugs are bad. Is
0: methamphetamine worse for somebody's health than marijuana?
2: I don't think any illegal drug is
0: good. Uh, is heroin uh, worse uh, for someone's health than marijuana?
2: Again, all drugs
0: I mean, drugs either yes, no, or drugs. I don't know. I mean, if you don't know, uh, you can look this up. You should know this is the chief administrator for the Drug Enforcement Agency. I'm asking you a very straightforward question. Is heroin worse for someone's health than marijuana?
2: All illegal drugs are are bad. Does this mean
0: you don't know? <laughs> I, I could listen to that exchange go on for hours that, that he really nailed it there because
1: they they always stick to their lines and do the dipshit answers and uh, he exploited that by yeah. asking her do you not know these simple cl-? just anyway
0: uh, yeah. exposing how absurd the federal position is on marijuana right there well in the eight years since then We've seen several states legalize marijuana. Public approval for legalization is surging. But the situation on Capitol Hill and among regulators and law enforcement has only slightly improved, as evidenced by a hearing Wednesday in the House Energy and Commerce Committee. Here's the basic situation. Marijuana is still, still listed as a Schedule I drug. Because of that, it's extremely difficult to conduct research on it, to establish its medical benefits. Only the University of Mississippi has permission from the DEA to grow marijuana to conduct research. Everyone else, when they realize just how difficult it is to get that permission, just doesn't fucking bother. That's why for decades, the University of Mississippi and only the University of Mississippi has been doing this and why there hasn't been much federal research on marijuana. That's why a lot of lawmakers, particularly in the last few years, are warming to the idea of descheduling marijuana. Even Democrat Joe Kennedy, number three. Joe Kennedy, the third. Speaking of snakes, <laughs> this guy's a fucking snake. He used to be one of the loudest voices against marijuana legalization. He was that for a long time, mainly because he was in the fucking pocket of big pharma but he's now on board with descheduling and now he's getting a taste of the absurd reasoning that keeps marijuana scheduled at the top tier other than paying off lawmakers like himself for a long time from big pharma but here was kennedy talking about a catch 22 that he's noticed
3: and that's where i started to get frustrated frustrated that as a federal legislator my hands were tied because our federal policy still rested on Richard Nixon's decision to put marijuana in the same category as heroin. Frustrated as constituents told me that marijuana was the only thing that eased their pain. We've heard some of those stories today. But When I asked regulators at as some of your agencies how we could make it sure that this drug, like all drugs, was subject to the highest patient safety standards, I was told that we couldn't until we had more research. So I asked how do we get more research? Remove marijuana from schedule one, I was told. How do we do that? Well, we need more research. The federal government has hid behind that Catch-22 for a long, long time. So, an
0: improvement over eight years, people like Joe Kennedy now supporting descheduling, and yet the dinosaurs still roam. Here was one of the witnesses at the hearing, Dr. Douglas Throckmorton.
1: Oh. (laughs) My man,
0: man, when he catches a name like Throckmorton, he gets excited. He can't help it. (laughs) We got Dr. Doug Throckmorton here with the FDA. The FDA, of course, the agency in charge of marijuana is the listing. Here's Dr. Throckmorton trying to justify how marijuana has been deemed by the agency to have no medical value whatsoever, yet some of its active ingredients are contained in drugs— that are scheduled well below the plant. Here's Congresswoman Anna Eschew pressing Throckmorton, (laughs) Throckmorton on this. And this is about as close as we got to a Polis Leonard moment.
4: Cannabis is listed as a schedule one drug. Uh, Yet two active compounds uh, in cannabis, THC and CBD are both approved ingredients for drugs that are scheduled uh, as Schedule 3 and Schedule 5, uh, respectively. So how can uh, cannabis be Schedule 1 and considered to have no accepted medical use, because that's part of Schedule 1, but both of its major active ingredients can be considered to have medical use?
3: Separately, those two compounds are safe and effective for intended uses and so meet the statutory standard for accepted
4: medical use. But how do you pull them out and separate them?
3: That's what the drug development process is, is, is meant to encourage, is to have people isolate And so if those.
4: FDA decides to pull those out to be applied to and used and be part of a certain drug, you just automatically vanish? Uh, Schedule 1 vanishes as a result of that? The question about marijuana
3: is more complicated. It has to do with what you mean by marijuana. Obviously, one street corner sells one kind of marijuana and another street corner sells a different kind of marijuana. Making a conclusion that both of those marijuanas somehow have medical value is challenging scientifically. One of the findings that we would be obliged to make were we to try to make a recommendation to the DEA to reschedule marijuana from schedule one. So from a scientific perspective, there are real challenges to making that conclusion. Um, we've been asked to look at it three times in the past. And, and each time we've, we've decided, as I had mentioned before, that it was not possible given where we were with the science.
1: <laughs> you know when you're buying weed and the dealer says something like, oh, this is like purple, purple mummy rainbow kush. Yeah. And like just makes stuff up. Yeah.
0: Same energy. (laughs) I like how Dr. Throckmorton is talking in irony Twitter. (laughs) Like, I will have one marijuana, please. (laughs) He just didn't put the one in parentheses after he said it. When
1: you have one marijuana and then do
0: some beer. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, the FDI claims that, quote, it did not meet the test for accepted medical use. And why is that? Well, because, quote, it's not possible given where we are. With the science, in other words, we need more research, which we can't get because the drug is still scheduled one because there isn't enough research proving that it shouldn't be really makes you want to light up and just say, fuck it, man, this is just bullshit. Instead of relying on the FDA, Congress could just deschedule marijuana itself, though there is opposition to that from Republicans, especially on the committee who again cited lack of scientific research to justify descheduling it. And so people whose quality of life could be vastly improved will continue to be denied a treatment. And that includes former members of Congress. Here was Congresswoman Debbie Dingell, wife of the late John Dingell, who is the longest serving member of Congress ever, discussing the possibility of John lighting up and her own evolving stance on weed and confirming that old people smoking weed remains some of the most wholesome content (laughs) out there.
2: My husband, who many know in this room, suffered from great pain, and many people said that marijuana would be the only thing. Would he try it? And he would not try it. Can you see John Dingle smoking marijuana? Because it was not legal, you did not know the side effects, and it might have given him relief in the end. Uh, But I was the keynote speaker at Hash Bash uh, this past year. Yes, you should laugh, it was... My staff told me I couldn't, I don't even know how it got scheduled, if you want to know the truth. But um, i was still trying to figure that out. It wasn't, but, it wasn't
4: schedule one. <laughs> <laughs> oh.
2: But I got up and said, I've never smoked marijuana. Prob- and don't think I ever will smoke marijuana. Boo. Uh, I was <laughs> getting a lot of um, uh, indirect smoke that day. But,
0: uh, <laughs> Debbie Dingle getting that contact high at Hash Bash. <laughs> Uh, Honestly, I'm a little surprised John Dingell didn't light up at the end there. One of his last calls to action before dying was to abolish the Senate, which is some extremely good third eye open shit that I'm definitely on board with, too.
1: Congress heard testimony today from John Sopko, the special inspector general of Afghanistan reconstruction. In December, The Washington Post published a major story on classified studies by Sopko, which revealed that one presidential administration after the next has lied about how the U.S. military is doing in the now 18-year-old war. Hint, poorly. Here was Sopko today talking about systemic deception by the Pentagon and how it's so pervasive it hinders the ability of elected officials to do their job as lawmakers.
5: Do you have to be given the facts to make that decision? And one of the concerns I have raised for almost, again, the seven or eight or nine years I've been doing this, I can't remember, they kind of merge after a while. Relatable. Is that a lot of the facts that you need, you are not being given. They are overclassified or they're not being collected or they are just uh, uh, ignored. So to this day, You don't have, unless you go into the classified briefing, you know how difficult it is to use that, but you're not told some of the basic facts that you need to make your decision of whether you should fund programs or not. And I can go through those lists at some time. That is still a problem. And when we talk about mendacity, when we talk about lying, it's not just by lying about a particular program, it's lying by omissions. By saying, oh, I can't tell you about the casualties, or oh, I can't tell you about how good the Afghans are of weapons, or oh, I can't tell you this and that. Turns out that everything that's bad news has been classified over the last few years. Wow.
1: Very, very healthy democracy we have. People say the Trump era is a post-fact world, like the Pentagon hasn't existed for decades. Here's another depressing thing about the war. According to Sopko, the United States and its allies are just utterly incapable of governing. Here's the watchdog talking about being deflated after one trip to Afghanistan.
5: I came back as so depressed because I met three separately, three Afghans who I've been working with, smart, young, brave Afghans who risk their lives every day. And, And for some reason, we all started talking about their families. And their families lived in the countryside in Afghanistan. And every one of those young, smart, bright Afghans told me a story where they recommended that their mothers and fathers that if they had a justice problem, and all of them did, go to the Taliban. Don't go to the local government.
1: (laughs) Sounds like we should get the fuck out of there. That might be my answer to most foreign policy issues. Because it is the answer to most foreign policy issues. Either way, this anecdote is like a flashing red siren just yelling, Get out! Get the fuck out of Afghanistan! Get out! What are you doing here? One more thing from this hearing. While leftists are constantly berated about how they're going to pay for that, right-wing institutions get money first and question second.
5: We saw an absurd situation down in, uh, at Camp Leatherneck where we built a building, uh, the, we call it the 64K. It was 64,000 square foot headquarters for the surge. It started, they started construction as the surge was ending. The military officers, our Marine Corps general down there said, I don't want it, I don't need it, I won't use it. His superior above him, I think it was General Allen at the time, says, I don't want it, we don't need it, we won't use it, and went up the chain. But there was a general back in Kuwait who said, well, Congress gave it to us, so spend it.
1: The U.S. military budget brought to you by the
0: drill tweet about candles. Finally today, it's something we call for often on the show, not just abolishing ICE, but abolishing the entire Department of Homeland Security. Turns out even folks who work there hate the department. The Government Accountability Office examined employee morale at DHS following a new survey from the Partnership for Public Service, which found that DHS was ranked last out of 17 large federal agencies for employee satisfaction and commitment. Since its inception in 2003, DHS has struggled with low employee morale. It was deemed a high risk area by the GAO. Today it's the third largest cabinet level department and more than 240,000 people work there and a lot of them are miserable. DHS shows employee satisfaction to be six points lower than the government-wide average and that's after the fact that DHS has actually improved their numbers over the last few years My guess, a result of racist scum being really amped about Trump's war on immigrants and joining up. So, ranking dead last has actually been an improvement for DHS. GAO highlighted some of the main reasons that are behind DHS's lagging numbers. Next to understaffing, the main reason appears to be people hating their boss. Quote, DHS low morale issues may persist because of employee concerns about senior leadership and supervisors, end quote. That includes leadership performance and accountability. At an agency level, some of the worst ranking offices in DHS include the Transportation Security Administration, ranked 398th out of 420 sub-agencies across the federal government, DHS's Office of Intelligence and Analysis ranked 406th and ranking dead last 420 out of 420. Nice. Light one up for the DHS Office of Countering Weapons of Mass Destruction. Great to know that everyone involved in that endeavor fucking hates their job. I'd say give these poor people a raise, but that's like saying we should give health insurance sellers a raise. No, we should find these people new jobs that aren't involved in building up the national security state and committing mass abuse on the southern border. Let's just abolish DHS.
1: I, for one, am actually happy that the Countering Weapons of Mass Destruction office has the lowest morale out of the entire federal government because... I want someone to detonate a dirty bomb right on my ass, right on my balls. Just blow them up.
0: (laughs) No haiku today, which means y'all need to get your friends to subscribe to the show or you yourself need to subscribe to the show. If you haven't yet, we're counting on you. Patreon.com slash District Sentinel, five bucks a month. You get access to all the bonus content, plus your own haiku written for you and read on the air. We do have a call to get to, though, on the listener rant line. Hey, District Sentinel boys. Uh, This is Church Nadwich just calling in with a comment about this whole Bernie Warren, Bernie sexist, uh, you know, spat that's going on. Um, I really, my my only thought that I wanted to convey is that Joe Biden is on. Fucking videotape nuzzling the necks of, like, hundreds of women and underage girls with his nose. What are we even fucking
1: talking about? All right, you can put that right in your pipe and smoke it. Uh,
0: good point by Turd Snadwich there. Uh... Incredibly good point. That's a very good point. The idea that we're even having this discussion around Bernie Sanders just makes no sense when Joe Biden is in the race. Call the rant line 202-684-6108. Leave a message. We'll play it on air. Show's over. We're back tomorrow. We're in D.C. So you don't have to be.